Good morning, SunWest. Glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we're continuing on in our series in Mark, and today the, uh, the title for the sermon is uh, The Beauty of Wastefulness. We'll unpack that idea together as we go through. So we're picking up in Mark 14. Um, up until now, Jesus has been traveling, ministering all around the region. He's been teaching, leading, healing, foreshadowing his death, um, you know, just discipling the disciples, uh, almost in a hurry to get to the ending. There's always a rush, right? But from this point on, uh, in Mark, Mark 14, is where he entirely focuses on the coming crucifixion. And all the events aren't scattered around the region anymore. It's all in Jerusalem or right around Jerusalem. And from this point on, he slows the story down. So, here's where we pick it up. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So, Jesus' enemies, as we know, have been against him for a long time, and they're wanting to catch him, and they want a time to get him, and they're thinking, they're trying to scheme a way to do it, but now is not the time to do it. Because in Jerusalem, during the Passover, the, the city would swell to five times its population as people from all around came. And there's just been the triumphal entry where Jesus comes in on a donkey, and, uh, and, and the crowds are going crazy for him, and they're nervous that there'll be repercussions. Verse 3, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and broke it over his head. Nard. Um, Pure nard. I couldn't help but highlight this ointment. Who wouldn't want nard poured over their head? I know I would. Thankfully, I was able to source, uh, source some pictures of nard, so we can imagine what it was like. Um, so here you go. This is oh shoot, sorry. This is <laughs> these are nerds. Sorry, anybody that grew up in the '80s knows how great nerds are, though, and uh, they're good to pour over your head as well. But actually, here's this is nard. It's actually like a plant called spike nard. And then you get the ointment from them, and here's a picture of the jar. That's something that it would have looked like. Uh, but this is the story we're going to focus on. Uh, in Mark 14 uh, with this woman and the gift that she gives. Um, So while celebrating the Passover meal, uh, this woman pours expensive ointment over his head, an extravagant gift. She could have broken the seal, poured a little bit on and put a seal back on, but instead she pours the entire thing out. Of course, there's two responses from the people in the crowd. The first... Uh, We see here in verse 4, there were some who said to themselves, indignantly, with anger, uh, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So the first response, anger, scolding, why waste? Accusing her, should have done something different, didn't do it right. A denarii, a denarii is about a day's wages for a laborer. So 300 denarii, it's you know, more than a year's worth of wages. So it's a lot of money. Um, and then we see a different response. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she for has, sorry, she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. So Jesus instead 
silences the critics, protects and defends the woman. And then he goes on to say, what she did was a beautiful thing. Two words that Jesus could have used for, to describe her gift. If he thought it was a good gift, he could have used two different words. The first one, agathos, which means um, good, useful, practical. It focuses on the rightness of the action, of getting it just right. Instead, Jesus uses the word kalon. Now, kalon in Greek is the word for beauty, beautiful. So he doesn't use the Greek word agathos, good, useful. Instead, he uses the word beautiful. And that's what we want to unpack today. The idea of a beautiful good, the, the ideal perfect beauty in an artistic sense. Historically, the church included beauty into its collective virtues. Today, most of the church, influenced by many factors, um, has turned its focus to truth and being right, almost like a scientific way, right? Uh, viewing faith and the Bible and even our faith journey in terms of, a, a, in terms of science, um, truth, rightness, usefulness. Yeah, those are obviously valuable. I'm not saying they're not. But when beauty's taken out of them, things seem to go sideways. Um, you know, there's a, there's a church, as an example of this beauty that the church has upheld, there's a church in uh, Cologne, a cathedral uh, in Cologne, Germany. And uh, it's breathtaking. Um, it's unbelievable. You have apartment buildings down here that are dwarfed by this church. I mean, look at the amount of detail put in here. It's staggering to think about how much work and detail was put into this church. Um, like, the church I grew up had had one little steeple. This one's got, I don't know how many, a thousand steeples. I'm not sure. It, it started in 1248 AD and wasn't finished till 1880. Six, over 600 years. Imagine the dedication and the vision carried on for 600 years to complete a structure like this. 20,000 people visit a day. How come? Because they stand in front and they say, wow. They stand in front and they maybe don't say anything. They're just in awe. How can you forget that God is big and you're small when you're standing in front of such beauty? How can you forget or not know that God is beauty? And beyond our comprehension, when we see something we can't even fathom being constructed, we have no idea how they did this. Um, 600 years of work to make it happen. Beauty obviously had a high value. If you've traveled to older cities or to Europe, uh, that's evident. The church held beauty in high value. You know, we need to recover some of this virtue, I think, uh, concerning ourselves, not just with what's right and true, those are good things, but also what's with, with, with what is beautiful. When we subtract beauty from our discipleship, from our following of Jesus, we lose something. We, we lose worship and relationship. We lose something in the heart and the passion and the freedom. Have you, have you ever met a person that says everything just right or does everything just right, but something just feels a little bit off? Like they seem to be doing the correct thing, but you feel like something's missing. Maybe it's that they're always fighting for what's right, but there's something that feels so wrong. A beautiful disciple says the right things, of course. 
but in a beautiful way. There's an attraction to them um, just because of who they are. Maybe not even who they are, but how they are, how they be. Isaiah is out tree planting. He's our oldest son. He's out in Valemont, B.C. Talked to him on the phone the other day, and uh, he was just talking about the beauty around him, and he sent us this picture, and he said, Dad, the picture just doesn't do justice, though. It's so beautiful, you wouldn't believe it. Um, If you've ever hiked a mountain or uh, come up over a rise where you can see for miles, you look over the edge, and everybody just stops for a minute and just looks at the expanse. And there's that moment where time almost stands still. And that's what Isaiah is experiencing as he's up there, gets dropped off on the side of a mountain. And he just looks and he's like, I can't believe how beautiful, beautiful it is. Dad, it's just so beautiful. Um, I, think, I think that line is really important as we think about ourselves as Christ followers. We ought to be just so beautiful that when we bump into people in our day-to-day lives, they feel overwhelmingly loved accepted, cared for, like they are treasured and loved by God. So carrying on, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Um, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are. Talking about her in memory, 2,000 years later, we're still telling the story. So Mark was right. Um, What she's done, she did a beautiful thing. Not just a useful thing, but something beautiful. Uh, There was a sacrifice to it that made it beautiful, right? Um, My church growing up, um, love my church growing up, uh, had songs that we sang, you know, hymns that we sang that were filled with all manner of truths and so much theology just built into these songs. Um, and they were awesome, and I love singing hymns still to this day. Um, but it, it was a different kind of worship. You might say uh, our worship was fairly stoic. Uh, like movement, any movement was bad. And if you know me, uh, sitting still, listening, paying attention, I had a hard time when I was a kid. How Fully, full confession here. So me and my cousin were always kind of sitting together in church. There's the first step that was a bad decision. Um, But one day I remember we were were sort of fooling around during singing and and my mom looks at me and gives me that evil eye and you just know you're going to be in trouble if you keep it up. And then we got the giggles and I couldn't stop laughing. And we just couldn't stop no matter what. And my uncle looks over at us and he gives us that eye and I couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) And he came over to my cousin and I and he took us by, you know the hair that's right at the back of your neck right here? He had a real knack for finding a little patch of hair right at the back of the neck. He grabbed both of us, gave a little half turn, and then amazingly he was able to stand us up and march us right out the middle of uh, of the church down the aisle. But uh, I grew past that stage. And, uh, and then when I was in, in high school, I remember going into the city, into Saskatoon, and we went, attended a worship service with our youth group. And I remember seeing worship in a way I'd never witnessed before. Uh, there was a sacrifice to it. There was a re- like a deep worship with this deep relationship to it. And it was something I'd never seen to it before, but I was drawn to it because of the beauty. And there was something missing from what our church typically did that I thought was just so beautiful. Um, 
There's a sacrifice in that worship. So, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So, moments ago, uh, they were angry at the waste of the gift spending money on something that wasn't good or useful and now they're glad to see a chance to kill him and they're happy to spend money to have him killed it, it, this story that little clip is there on purpose as a direct contrast to the cost of the ointment and here they're spending money to betray and eventually kill you know there's something here with the way they respond the anger and the joy The things that make you glad and the things that make you angry expose something about your heart. So Mark again uses this uh, kind of a classic sandwich idea where he puts a few stories together and he packs one in between a couple others. So as we just read together, the first two verses talk about this plot to kill Jesus and the nervous because of the people in Jerusalem. And then there's this beautiful sacrifice in the middle, this extravagant gift that the lady gives. Uh, um, and then on the end of it, on the other end of the sandwich, is the plot to betray Jesus. Um, and Judas gets involved there. And so this little story, and then a larger story, and then a little one. It's like a sandwich with a lot of meat in the middle, and that meat is what Paul wants, or Mark wants us to focus on, wants to highlight it, because of the contrast between how the people in the beginning and the ending stories acted as compared to the woman. A Christ follower must act sacrificially and in a beautiful way. And just doing what's right isn't the whole story. So, the next few verses in Mark, um, starting in verse 12 and on for a bit, they, they focus on the Last Supper and moves right into the Last Supper where Jesus gathers together. And this, of course, is Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper and one of the most famous paintings that the world has. Uh, I'm sure everybody's seen that. Most people have heard of the Last Supper, and so we don't, we don't, we're not going to go through it verse by verse for sake of time. But, um, but you know, it's those events where Jesus says uh, that somebody's going to betray him, and he says that he's going to die, and he's going to give his life. And then everybody's looking around the room, wondering who who is it? Is it going to be me? Uh, and these fascinating questions where they say, "Is it I?" Uh, and then Judas is there. You can even see Judas. He's holding the money bag there, foreshadowing of where, where his road takes him. And the disciples are promising, no, no, I'll never, forget, I'll never forsake you, Jesus. I'll never leave you. And Peter even says, if all the other guys do, I won't. I'll be the one that doesn't. And then, you know, Jesus um, predicts with the rooster crowing and all that stuff, right? So that whole, all those events around there. Um, and so when we look at this passage as a whole with these multiple stories all put together for a very in a very specific order we see two different narratives kind of unfolding in mark 14 those who sacrifice jesus and those who are sacrificing for jesus judas of course sacrifices jesus for some money the religious leaders plot and pay for the opportunity to sacrifice jesus to sacrifice him like ultimately to take his life. The disciples sacrifice Jesus um, as they all turn their backs on him. But it's the woman who sacrifices by giving so lavishly for Jesus to anoint and honor him. 
the beautiful good. I actually want to jump over to John's Gospel. Typically here we've tried to stick to Mark and stay in the text of Mark, but there's a verse in John from the very same story about the woman who pours the ointment over Jesus. And, and I think it's really important. to It kind of shines a light on this story for us. Uh, so the verse is right after she pours the oil out or pours the ointment out. Um, this is what it says in John chapter 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples... He who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here we find out when it said in Mark where it says some people were, you know, angry and saying and accusing her and saying you should have done something different. We find out Judas was actually some of those people that were saying that. Um, he was the one that was angry over the apparent waste. Um, then he goes and he says in here, why was this uh, ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Give to the poor. Well, that's a good thing. Like, it's actually a great idea. It's a, it's a useful thing to do. It's an agathos thing to do. Jesus would have loved to help the poor. Obviously, he helped the poor all the time, right? Um, he would have supported this fully. It was actually a great idea that Judas had. It makes practical sense. But when we keep reading, we see he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Judy, Judas was covering up his corrupt, thieving heart by saying good things, useful things, right things even, good ideas. But we focus only on what's right without beauty, without kelan, the heart. Uh, we say things to justify and cover up our own corrupt hearts. Those who are always fighting for the truth are often, often covering up a heart of corruption. Not because they care about the person they're talking to, but it's because they care about the truth. They care about the truth more than they care about the person. And beauty shapes the way we speak the truth. Beauty shapes the way we speak the truth. And so when we pull out beauty from our following of Christ, we lose something. the beauty of wastefulness. She did a beautiful thing, a Kalon thing. The beauty was actually in the waste. Some things are worth being wasteful with. Some things are worth, worth being wasteful over, as in her example. And Jesus commended her. Many of us Sunwesters have gone on a, on a trip to Mexico to take youth. Uh, we spent countless hours in a van, 15-passenger van, packed in there with a bunch of pubescent boys who have serious body odor. And if you've even been around SunWest very long, you've heard about how bad the body odor is. Um, something like 70 hours we spend in the vans together, if not more. And I tell people, when I'm talking to people, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be gone for this week, week and a half. And uh, we're driving. Down. They're like, what? You're driving? Why don't you fly? No, no, we're driving. And over and over again, leaders will come back and the, the leaders will say, 
the best part, the highlight of the trip was the drive. We go down, we build for families, we do all these good things, but it's that drive that was a highlight for the people, for leaders. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of wasted time and nonsense that goes on in those vans. Um, Or so it would seem, wasted time. But the beauty of it is that the time is actually not a real waste. Because it's during that so-called waste of time, that driving time, that those relationships are formed. Relationships that are bonded and last. You see, efficiency is not the goal when it comes to worship and relationships. Worship, love of God. Relationships, love of the neighbor. The two greatest commandments, they take time. A lot of time. And a lot of cost. Even seemingly wasted time. Worship, you know, it's, it's maybe in that, that, those faithful, quiet times that you set aside for the Lord, uh, that He speaks clearly to you one day. And maybe you don't even hear from Him for days or weeks even. Um, I know I don't sometimes, right? But that, it's that steady sacrifice to take time for the Lord that gives Him the opportunity to speak to us in those moments in that space that's given for the relationship. You know, it's in the sacrifice of worship, like I talked about when I was in high school, and I went and I saw, I part, you know, I was part of a worship service like I'd never seen before, and there was, there was a sacrifice in the worship. Um, and it was beautiful. And in the moment, there's an opportunity to experience His love, His grace, His kindness to us. And with relationships, loving our neighbor, it might, you know, it might be f- five minutes, it might even be two minutes on a whole day's journey with somebody uh, that takes that relationship to the next level. It's that those few words spoken that there's a bond that's created or an openness and a trust that's created. It might take years to build trust with people. Um, and most of those years are spent doing just ordinary things together. Um, it might just be that you're, you're present with people, um, that almost like you're loitering around. You're just with people. And when trouble comes to your door or their door, um, you're there. You're present. Uh, and it's in that moment, in that, that being present in that, we call it wasted time, maybe, uh, that you have the opportunity to, to care for that person or for them to care for you. Maybe it's in that extravagant gift to a friend or a family member that blows them away. Um, It's the grace of waste. So, Sunwest, back to the title for the sermon, The Beauty of Wastefulness. Can we be a church with a heart that seeks beauty? Uh, Sunwest, can we be a church that wastes well? And Sunwest, can we be a church that does beautiful things for the love of God and the love of our neighbor? Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate beautiful uh, gift, good thing that you gave us. Uh, 
in that you were willing to give up your own life to be poured out for many. Um, and so we give you the praise and the glory and, and thank you as we try and we aim to follow you, um, to follow you as our master and our leader. Um, if there's places in our lives, in our hearts, where, where we have you know, even realized that when anger flares up or things that make us glad or angry, um, would, you, would you identify and shine a light on those things in our hearts that maybe there's corruption Maybe there's darkness in our hearts that need to be opened up today. So would you, would you shine a light on that for us today? And, and would you help us to be a people that, that waste well, that waste in a beautiful way, that sacrifice in a beautiful way for you as we follow you and worship you and also for those around us as we aim to love our neighbor. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're in a group or with your family or, or maybe you're just on your own or maybe later in a, in a time you just set aside to ponder and pray through uh, these things. Uh, just have a few deeper, going deeper questions for us. So, first one, can you think of someone who demonstrates beauty as a follower of Christ? How do you feel when you're around them? Maybe just take a minute to even just let, just let someone come to mind and then think about um, how you feel when you're around them. How have you been sacrificing for Jesus? Or how have you been maybe sacrificing Jesus? Um, next, do you get angry when people threaten the good things you think we should be doing or standing up for? Um, just kind of a reflection on your heart. Um, are there good things you need to leave behind to pursue something more beautiful? And what specific actions or people come to mind when you are called to waste beautifully? So, yeah, you can unpack those things together. And, and uh, thanks for joining us. Um, glad that you are here with us this morning. And I hope you have a great and beautifully wasteful week. Mm-hmm.